1: Today we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3. There's just 10 verses here, but they're packed with a couple of really important concepts that we want to touch on again. Before that, though, I'd point you to yesterday's podcast, which was about God's sovereignty over animals. We've seen God appoint a fish to go swallow Jonah. We've seen him speak to the fish to spit Jonah up on dry land. That's where we picked this passage up today. Jonah has been spit up on dry land. If you do a survey through scripture of how God has sovereignly used animals to accomplish his purposes, it's remarkable. And when you think of God being sovereign over animals, not just over the universe, not just over humans, but over animals, even tiny animals like gnats and flies and locusts, it is remarkable we serve a big, complex, huge God. And that's the point of yesterday's message, so I hope you'll hear that. So here we are in Jonah 3, and Jonah has just been spit up on dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. By the way, this three days' journey in breadth can be be confusing. The city of Nineveh, which we know a little bit about because there was a major excavation done in the 1840s, it is in the location of modern-day Mosul, Iraq, and it was a big city, but it wasn't so big that it took three days to walk across or three days to walk around. So this could refer to a couple things. One is it could refer to the region around Nineveh, including land outside of the proper city, and in that case, you could get to three days to walk across it. or. It could refer to the amount of time that it would take Jonah to walk through the city and preach the message to everybody that God has given him to preach. So in verse 4, Jonah goes into the city. He went in a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. That's what they did back in Old Testament times when they were mourning, in this case repenting or responding to the warning that Jonah gave them from God. And the king issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. A couple really remarkable things from this text. First of all, The people of Nineveh respond more seriously than the people of Israel have been responding throughout the prophets that we've read so far and throughout the historical books that we've read. This is really an indictment on God's people because the people of Nineveh are pagans. They're not God's people. They're not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're outsiders. They're a pagan people group in a far-off land who don't know the one true God. They're not in covenant with the one true God. Yet when God warns them, and calls them out for their sin, they respond immediately. This is unlike the Israelites who are hard-hearted and obstinate and still aren't responding even well into the minor prophets and the prophets and the historical books that we've read. Second thing that's amazing about this is that God has a heart for the nations. These people aren't Israelites, as I said. And the Israelites at this time, and even in Jesus' time, these Pharisees were thinking that they were so special in God's sight that his redemptive plan was only for them. His message of salvation was only for them. God's plan from day one was never for it to be only for the Israelites, only for the people of his chosen nation. Rather, his plan was that that message would come through the Israelites and go to the world. And so there's a little bit of jealousy you can imagine. I would even think that the Pharisees of Jesus' day Are a little bit chagrined by this text because it shows them again that god's heart is for the world when we get to heaven someday those of us that trust christ we're going to see representatives from every tribe tongue and nation because god's redemptive plan has always been for all peoples of the world and there will be representatives from each of those people groups who have trusted christ and been forgiven and given a place in eternity finally what's important here is to remember that when the people repent God will relent this is not just a principle that's borne out in this text this is really the principle behind God's redemptive plan the Bible says that all of us are under sin we're all guilty we all are under God's wrath because God must punish sin and punish it he will and punish it he does But. He set it up so that when his people repent, he will relent. In New Testament times, and that's from the time of Jesus even till now, that repentance must be centered on the person of Jesus Christ. The whole thing is that in order to be suitable to be in God's presence, in order order to be worthy of being in communion with God, in order to spend eternity in heaven with God when we die, there's one simple requirement that we must meet we got to be perfect we've got to be perfect not one sin not one bad thought not one stain of Adam's sin that has been carried down from generation to generation we must be perfect and obviously you know what I know and that means that we have a problem because nobody is perfect everybody in the world knows that that no human is perfect. And God, in his compassion, sent his son Jesus Christ to do what none of us could ever do, and that is to live a perfect life. And then after he lived a perfect life at 33 years old, God hung him on a cross. He was the perfect sacrifice, paying the ultimate penalty for sin. It was a gruesome death, but not just a physical death, a spiritual separation from God. Jesus paid that. And then he rose again, defeating sin, death, and the power of the devil. So anybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ can have his perfection, his righteousness attributed to them and can have the penalty that they owe God for their sin mark paid because of the perfect sacrifice Christ made. And they can be part of his family. They can be part of his people. They can be heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. They can have a place in heaven forever. And these are all things that come to those who repent, who turn from their sin, and put their trust in Jesus Christ. When the people repent, God will relent. Friend, I hope that you have repented. I hope that you've trusted Christ, put your faith in him alone for salvation. If that's true, you can count yourself among his people who will be blessed forever. And if not, unfortunately, he's not in a position to relent when it comes to you. So we better get that sorted out, right? Right. Amen.